Coming up on today's show. The NFL season is here. The Texans are all in, and the Dolphins, they're already out. And the Browns, they're the AFC North favorites. Cleveland linebacker Christian Kirksey joins the show to talk Baker Mayfield, high expectations, and the origin of the dog check. Plus, Super Bowl predictions, rookie head coaches, and the worst purchases in NFL history. Spoiler alert, they're mine. Don't go anywhere. All of this and much, much more coming up on The Tomahawk Show. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to The Tomahawk Show. I am Andrew Hawkins, your humblest of all co-hosts, joined as always by the man, the myth, the legend himself, Joe Thomas. Joe, how you doing today, man? Wow, couldn't be any better. Finally, 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 we have the start of the NFL season, and it's going to be a good one. This week, we start with Packers, Bears. We got Matt LaFleur, who's that guy that everybody has been interested to see what his offense looks like with the one and only Aaron Rodgers versus that vaunted Bears defense, Khalil Mack. He wrecked shop a little bit last year when we saw him against the Packers. So I'm excited, man. I, I, I watched a little bit of college ball this weekend. The Badgers played on Friday and there was some okay games on Saturday. And it just got my juices flowing because Saturday morning we were at the farm this weekend with the family. I woke up. I turned the TV on because I never turn the TV on ever. Just don't have time. I'm too busy working on the Tomahawk show. Really? I turned the TV on. I hate the TV being on, by the You're way. You're just not a TV on guy? I hate this. I hate the noise of TV while I'm sitting in a room. I, I like it quiet. I like it dark. My wife hates it. Oh, my God. You're just like my wife. Every time I go into a room, I turn music on and I like start moving to it. I, I really enjoy cooking uh, and hanging out with the kids with music. And as soon as she walks in the room, she turns it off. She's like the crypt keeper, or yes. like the, uh, the, the dream killer. <laughs> I guess you guys have something in common. So anyway, Saturday morning, I'm... I, I, we're at the farm we're sitting down and we don't have cable or we don't even have tv but we've got apple tv so i log into the espn app uh i get college game day on which i love what what a great pregame show is college game day by the way i love listening to kirk herb street and desmond howard and all those guys and it just gets me excited for college Solid. football and so i'm watching that and annie comes out of the room and goes what are you doing and i'm like it's football and she's like what and i'm like yeah College football's back. This is amazing. But then Sunday rolls around, and I'm used to my Sunday routine, which is watch Sunday football, NFL football, right? No NFL football on Sunday. Talk about a Debbie Downer. It was not not a great Sunday because of that, but <laughs> good news is right around the corner Thursday night, the beginning of the NFL season, and we don't have to suffer through another weekend for a very, very long time without Sunday NFL football. You are such a football jock. It makes makes me want to vomit. You are just a, the you just watched line play. I I also <laughs> watched college football this weekend for for one reason. I watched like my first full on two college football games that I haven't watched in a long time, and I've watched it differently than I ever have. I have a nephew named Shamar Jones who plays defensive tackle for Indiana. I have another nephew named Aeneas mm. Hawkins who plays defensive tackle for Penn State. So I watched both of those games. Penn State like whooped up on Idaho and Indiana. They scored 80 points. I mean, that's bullshit. Yeah, they squeaked by Ball State. But the entire game, I watched nothing but the line because they're my nephews, right? And they're like, when they're playing, I'm watching their play. When they're not playing, I'm analyzing the guys who are playing instead of them. Um, they both got some playing time, but it was a completely different game. And it like opened my eyes up to the game of football. I'm like, oh, this is how you can tell what team is better than the other team. You just watch the lines of scrimmage. Welcome to the dark Everything side. else is a crapshoot. 
And I'm like, man, this sucks being a lineman. So, yeah, I watched some football this week and some college football. By the way, you can tell Aeneas I'm still pissed at him for not coming to Wisconsin. That was a real bullshit move by him. I don't him. think Wisconsin – I don't think they offered him. Not that he would have gone anyway. <laughs> but it's it's messed up because Jim Leonard, who is our oh. former teammate and good friend, obviously fan of the Tomahawk Show, is the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin, he is. isn't he? He's a, a very highly respected, highly sought-after defensive coordinator. He had a few – options this last couple seasons actually to go to some really big time universities that were going to pay him a lot more than Wisconsin was but he said no 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 I want to stay home I want to be a badger for life and uh, I guess what he really wanted to say was they ain't paying me enough money because we all know there's a price for everything Hawk exactly all right but listen if you are listening I need you guys to go subscribe Rate the show five stars um, anywhere you listen to your shows at. This is the Tomahawk Show. If you've been living under a rock, this is the best football sports podcast in the history of audio. We've won three Oscars, two Nobel Peace Prizes, and I think we were voted by Cleveland Scene Magazine the best local podcast, which is actually real. Not that the other ones weren't, but that one's really specifically happening. You can search it on Twitter. Um, Joe, what else are we talking about today? we got a lot of NFL questions. This is our third preseason game as a podcast. Um, we're getting gearing up for the season. We'll have 16 burning questions because 73 mm. is too many, as well as jumping into all the storylines, names, and we're just going to wing it, man. I think that's when we do our best shows, and we're just winging it as a podcast couple. We're a couple now. That's pretty exciting. When was our anniversary? Yeah. That's what I would like to know because I want to send you flowers. Ah, if we're an official couple, I like you got to send flowers on the anniversary, Andrew, and maybe even true a little note, maybe even a card. Very romantic. So... <laughs> Maybe we can get the greatest producer in the world, world's greatest producer, John Fontanelli. Maybe he can find out when our anniversary is. And then being that he's sort of our assistant as well, I can just put that role on his plate <laughs> so he can send both of us flowers and a nice note written by him, sent by him, but signed by both of us. Like most good assistants do. It'll be perfect. Listen, I can't wait. There's so many, there's so many things that are going to be intertwined in this episode. We have Christian Kirksey. A former teammate of ours, Browns, um, all do it everything linebacker joining us here on the mm. show today. He's, I think, one of two. I think it's him and Batonio, the only two players left from our 2014 Cleveland Browns team. Um, everyone's all excited about the Browns. We'll talk tanking. We'll talk the the Dolphins. Um, and this podcast is actually born besides the the Browns roster, which is amazing and a result of tanking. This podcast was also a result of tanking. So we have, Ooh, we have that share. to thank for the Cleveland Browns. It, it, it pushed us out of the league, and here we are, uh, blessing the airwaves. All right, so let's just get right into it, Joe. We're going to do uh, 16 burning mm. questions. Listen, if you're listening, we get these questions from our social. So you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Tomahawk Show. Hit us up on subreddit. Uh, we have a Facebook group. You can email us, tomahawkshow at gmail.com, or leave a voicemail, 440-628-1376 is where we get the audio, and we will play it in the show. Leave us questions, comments. Tell us we suck. We're used mm. to it. Our wives do it all the time. <laughs> just just interact with us. We want this to be a free-flowing conversation. Uh, let's gear up the first question, John. What do you got for us? So this past weekend, NFL rosters were set. Guys, question number nine of our 16 burning preseason questions. What was the most surprising roster move of the weekend? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most surprising roster move. Surprising, surprising. I'm going to say Laramie. Uh, how do you say Tunsil. it? I never can Tunsil. pronounce it. Tunsil? Tunsil. Laramie Tunsil traded to the Texans in a panic trade. I feel like the Texans did 
because they felt stupid for sending Jadavian to Seattle for nothing. They gave up two first rounders. And the Dolphins, I mean, you got to do that. For two first round picks, I would trade Joe mm. right now, let alone while he was in the prime mm. of his career. Um, that was a that was a double insult there because you not only said I'm not in the prime of my <laughs> career anymore, you also said that you can't wait to trade me. So that that hurts a lot. Yeah. That flowers bouquet also, from John, which is actually from me, is going to be cut in half. The budget just went down to thirty bucks. By the way, one eight hundred flowers, thirty dollars. Give me the cheapest bouquet you got. That's how you know I'm I'm really an NFL personnel guy I just subtly let the entire world know you're up for trade without actually saying give me offers for Joe Thomas it's just it's genius but that was my most surprising move what do you got well since you stole mine uh because I love to talk <laughs> line play as you know and I think Laramie Tunsil is a good left you tackle. can double up okay I'll just I'll just hit on yours real quick Laramie Tunsil good left tackle the Texans they're desperate for help for Deshaun Watson they do not have a GM right now because Bill O'Brien maybe fired his GM Tried to get Nick Casario from the Patriots, but was accused of tampering, and then Nick Casario didn't come. So essentially, Bill O'Brien is acting as the GM right now, and he's doing what head coach GMs typically do is you try to play hardball all offseason with Jadevi and Clowney, but then when it comes nut-cutting time, you just give them away <laughs> for whatever you can because you know you need to put the best <laughs> roster you possibly can on the field this season or you're going to be fired, and that's exactly what happened with the Tunsil and Stills. He realizes that his tackle position is still horrible and he needs to find somebody who can block for Deshaun Watson and he wants another weapon for Deshaun Watson because he knows this year if he's not at least nine and seven probably ten and six winning that division especially with the advent of the Colts losing Andrew Luck they are clearly the favorites if they do not live up to expectations finally this year their owner just passed away last year whoever is going to be kind of taking control in that ownership group is going to say, you know what? We've seen enough of Bill O'Brien. He's constantly been getting uh, good players. We've been giving him the money, the salary cap space. We got him the quarterback and he can't win yet. And so, sorry, see you later. And I know that Bill O'Brien's feeling that pressure. So when you feel that pressure, you make these drastic moves that are definite reaches to first rounders for a middle of the road left tackle who it's better than they have of course but that's still a very rich price so that was my most surprising move but i'm also going to throw out brian hoyer there our boy the maybe hey, our guy back the in biggest the game be in the tama flock released by the new england patriots not something we saw coming because we kind of saw that maybe him and brady would be together the rest of brady's career because of their relationship because of their similarities um but clearly He'll Clearly, uh, Bill Belichick right now is kind of looking towards the future, maybe beyond Tom Brady and saying, we need to kind of start developing the backup who can take over for Tom whenever that is done. And maybe this is another sign that this is Brady's last season. What do you think, Hawk? Or or it's just Belichick like, eh, Brady likes that backup too much. Let me break that little <laughs> love fest those two have going on. He does on. like needling Brady, doesn't he? Every <laughs> he does. He gets- like, he doesn't, I don't know if you guys are like, forming a mutiny or something let's get that other guy <laughs> out of here that's that's the belichick way um my, my guy brian hoyer that is forever my quarterback if anybody is listening when i th- when i think of my nfl career and i think of my quarterback no disrespect to andy dalton but it's, you can't it's brian say hoyer. that without crying like to did that's my quarterback dude that is my qb i love watching him continue to get money like he's made like Brian Hoyer, he was a practice squad receiver in like 2013. <laughs> they had him playing practice squad tight end on the scout team. 
and he's made like $30 million in his career. I want to say I have the most receiving yards from Brian Hoyer. So, you know, if you think of like great quarterbacks, you always think of like their receiver. Like you think of Tom Brady, you'll think of like Wes Welker and Randy Moss or, you know, Dan Marino. Actually, you don't think of a receiver with Dan Marino. Let's go with uh, Steve Young. You think of Jerry Rice. When you think of Brian Hoyer, I want you to think of Andrew Hawkins, Joe. When you think of me, think of Hawkins. (laughs) And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that stat probably isn't true because I think Gordon probably had like a thousand from him in like four games (laughs) that year. He started. Then Hopkins had another thousand from him in four games, but whatever. I'm sure when the Browns fans think of great quarterback receiving duos of all time, they think, you know, (laughs) it's probably, was it? Oh, we're up there. Brian? Hoyer and Andrew Hawkins, number one. <laughs> By the way, since I wear it's multiple hats us. on the Tomahawk show, I'm going to tell you that Brian Hoyer in 11 seasons has made $22 million. How about that? Not mm. bad. How about that, Hoyer? Get, that, Get money. that money, bro. So we should mention Brian Hoyer was signed by the Indianapolis Coats, three years, $12 million. They also signed Jacoby Brissett, two years, $30 million. So they went out and paid two quarterbacks. Let's, let's talk weekend. about that Brissett deal. What What do you think, Hawk, that Brissett deal means for the Colts and for Jacoby Brissett? Nothing. It, it literally means nothing. And I like Jacoby. I think Jacoby is a starting quarterback, and I think he'll do well. Um, I think he did really like good under the circumstances last time he was a starter. But it means nothing. That is the price of playing quarterback in the NFL. If if J- John Fontenelle was the starting quarterback, hey. they were going to give him $15 million. Like that's, that's the price to play ball. That's how tall you have to be to ride that ride. It means nothing. If he sucks, they'll move on. If he does great, They'll talk about extending it. I'll tell you what it means, and I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that they love their quarterback, Mr. Brissett. What it means is <laughs> right. they want everybody in that building to think that they love Mr. Brissett, but they weren't really willing to pay him enough to show that they actually love him. They wanted to pay him just enough that it shows that they kind of love him, that most people in the building will think that they love him, but they can easily get out from under that contract and they can move on to the next guy if he doesn't produce this exactly. year. And really, the price to be a starting quarterback in the NFL is $30 million for one season. They give him 30 over two, so they're basically giving him a half-off deal. Uh, but for him, yeah. he's probably really excited because that's huge right. generational money for him. It's way more than he's made in his career so far. And if he goes out and plays yeah. okay, he might get to see that second year. And so taking away $30 million in your pocket. And if you play well enough to maybe get another contract, let's say they go to the playoffs, they're going to be kind of thinking in Indy that, hey, we got to keep riding with this guy because he's gotten us kind of to the playoffs. He's in that range where he's not horrible yep. and there's not a clear person that we can replace him with. Now, if he goes 4-12, and 12, obviously we know what's going to happen. But uh, it, it's, an, it's an interesting contract when it came out. And that's the first thing I thought is, they want everyone to think they love him for thirty million over two, but they don't really, really love him. Yeah, no, I mean he's happy, like you said. Yeah. Like, hey, it's better yeah, than the two million dollars I was going to make. The next question comes from our Tomahawk email page, TomahawkShow at gmail Matt Wachna, Wachna. I'm having trouble with names on this one. Hey, if it's if right. you guys email real quick, if you email our show, which we greatly yeah. appreciate it, could you please give us a proper pronunciation guide so that we don't slaughter your phonetic pronunciation if your name is andrew hawkins we could probably figure that out but if your name is matt lefleur or vic fangio (laughs) that's not that hard but or matt stop emailing us coach all right we have you in the rundown 
<laughs> Who is this Matt LaFleur guy that keeps saying the Packers are winning the Super Bowl? All right, what was the question, John? Matt Wachna, not Matt LaFleur, asks, or I'm sorry, states, this is the time of year where rosters get cut to 53 and guys have to dump their lives into pla- black plastic garbage bags. <laughs> and then Matt asks, is there a better way to do this? Is he asking, is there a better way to cut players or is there a better way to transport their stuff from the locker room to their home state <laughs> because think, no black plastic bags have been working for generations and i don't think we could change that i think both okay let's let's just let's just assume he's talking about a better way to cut players and which i'll then disregard the entire question and answer it the way i want to and say that i think every team should have a 25 person practice squad roster one for each position like, so everyone on, like at all offensive positions, there's one practice squad roster. All defensive positions, one practice squad roster. Um, also a kicker, punter, long snapper. 25-person practice squad roster. It saves the legs of the starters. It saves the legs of backups in practice. You can then use those guys to be doing other things to get better during practice. Instead of giving the offense a look, if I'm your second linebacker and I still have to go play scout team, I could be on the side actually, you know, working on my craft and developing more. So, again, I don't know how that answers the question. It probably doesn't. But it definitely minimizes the amount of people you cut. If you have a 53-person roster and then you keep 25, that's what, 78? My math wrong? 78 players. Boom. We're going to need a full-time mathematician in addition to a researcher on this show. Yes, golly, this is tough. All right. I don't know how to how to better. It used to be where they would gradually cut players down from 90 to 53, and then they since changed it. They were like, oh, yeah, just one big cut. Keep 90 to the end. Cut them all together, which means, again, 1,200 people get cut in one weekend. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Joe, you got something? I'm going to take a halfway serious uh, approach here real quick. I feel so fortunate that I'm one of the few guys that throughout my NFL career, I came in. I played my entire career with one organization and a great organization at that with the Cleveland Browns. And I never had to be nervous on cut down day. Plenty of my friends, Andrew Hawkins, my uh, illustrious podcast co-host included, had to deal with cut down day, which had to be the most frightening and terrifying and anxiety driving day that you could possibly imagine because you know you're going to get a call that day. And you don't know if it's going to be mm-hmm. you made the team or you didn't make the team. And a lot of times you have to come in. And Hawk, I would love if you could walk me through what happens when you do get cut or you do make the roster because I've never had to live that. But I've had friends that just yeah. had to deal with that this past weekend. And it's got to be a horrible <laughs> feeling knowing that for a lot of people, your dream is dead. And you're going to have to really start the next yeah. phase of your life. And it's not going to be on your own terms. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it is it is tough. I mean, even... You know, everyone's heard the stories where the, the front office personnel, whoever's in, in charge of going to get you, says, bring me your playbook. That's the line that they use. And you kind of you read between the lines. You know what that means. Um, on cut down day, I remember my first year in Cincinnati um, and, and I did get cut. You know, I was coming from Canada. I had a son on the way. Um, I had already gotten cut earlier in that camp from the St. Uh, Louis Rams. And so I was there and I went through camp and I had a solid camp, solid preseason. Um, and you're just kind of sitting around, right? And it's it's literally, you know the call is coming, like you said, you don't know, and every team does it different. Um, but typically they tell guys stay away from the facility. So you know if you get a call to come in, you know what that means. Like, hey, coach wants to see you. Okay, boom, I'm getting cut. Um, 
So in that, you know, you're waiting around. I'm in the hotel talking to family. I'm kind of like, you know, keeping the phone lines open. And me being a clown, like my defense mechanism is laughter. So I joke a lot. Everyone thinks I'm funny. That's that's what I use like in serious situations or where things get dense. I try to use laughter to, to how to kind of help me through it. I remember I was sitting around with other, you know, bubble guys and I was like texting them all like, hey, you know, can you meet me at the, the locker room? And I, I, it was it was funny at the time. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was like it would put them also in a roller coaster. Run. Like, ah, it was just me. <laughs> you thought you were losing your job. Asshole. Uh, and they were kind of looking at me like, what are you? What are you, you that's are not funny. Uh, I thought it was. Yeah, but we all got cut. <laughs> so it didn't matter. Um, but yes, yeah, so they call you. They, you come into the office or whatever, and, and they basically give you the spiel. I've heard it as, hey, we wouldn't give you the opportunity to catch up with another team. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. You're so considerate. Um, luckily for me, in my year, it was, you know, hey, if you clear waivers, we'd like to bring you back on practice roster. And, you know, I start getting the text like, hey, I'm so sorry to hear you got released or sorry hey, you got cut. But for me, it was the opposite. I was like, I was elated that I made a practice roster. I couldn't believe it. Like, to me, I was in the NFL. It was a pay increase from what I was making in Canada. Um, but for a lot of guys, it, it just, it's not that fortunate. You go clean your black bag up and, you know, on with life and, Talk to your agent and, and hope and wait for the next opportunity, which sometimes, a lot of times, doesn't come. Do you think in today's day and age with technology and how most people communicate electronically, cut down day would be better for the players that are getting cut if it happened electronically rather than in person? Or do you feel, you know, doing it in person is more traditional and formal and it's more of like a professional approach? Yeah, I, I think it has. I think it has to stay in person. Um I mean, you don't want that in a text message. You don't want that, um, you know, you don't want to read it on the wire, right? Like, that's the worst feeling when you hear about news about your career on the internet, right? Like, when you're, like, not the first person to know about mm -hmm. that news. Um, I think the personal approach is important. I think it's tough. It sucks. Mm -hmm. There's not really a way around it, man. I mean, except to say, like, hey, don't bring as many guys to camp, Yeah. right? Like, but, but that's, not a, that's not a fix, you know, like no, you, you want to give those guys an opportunity. Absolutely. I, I think that the worst approach that I've seen, because you talked to some of the different approaches, but the worst approach that I've seen was on that Friday of cut down day. We had everybody in the building doing meetings and lifting yeah. just so that the scouts could come down and individually pick people off. So we'd be in the weight room. There's like 60 of us or whatever, and we're all working out. And, the, and then the scouts would come in and just snipe people one by one and take them yeah. out. And, of course, everybody in the middle of it, as soon as the Grim Reaper comes in the door, everyone holds their breath. It's like, <gasps> and you look over there, and you're trying to see who he's going to get. And he's like points to somebody and gives them like the come hither finger. Uh -huh. And you're like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. And it's got to be, I don't know, is that humiliating when that happens to you? Or do you kind of expect it? Or yeah. are you just so full of emotions and your brain's running in a million different directions that you don't know how to process like the embarrassment of having it happen in front of all of your peers? I think it's a little bit of both, man. When I got cut from St. Louis, I was like the first person in. Um, and it was like, the, it was literally the second day of practice, right? So it's like super duper early. And the guy's like, oh, you know, bring your playbook, whatever. They cut me. He goes down and um, he's like, hey, you know, you can go in there and grab your stuff. I'm going to stay out here, you know, as, um, you know, so so you're not embarrassed. And I remember thinking like, dude, like I have to drive 13 hours back to Pennsylvania. You just cut me on the second day of camp. You don't think they're going to know why I'm putting all of my shit in a black pa plastic bag. You think the embarrassment of these idiots I don't even know 
that you're about to <laughs> lose this entire season with is the first thing on my mind. I got a kid on the way, you, you a-hole. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so. Um, yeah, jack-offs. So, yeah, man, I, I, I think, and you know, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, and this is a weird epiphany that just came to us. What was the name of our fullback in 2014? Do you remember? Was it Which Ray? Which one? Because we had Ray a couple. I thought Agnew? We, we, Ray Agnew. But then in the middle of the season, remember, Ray kept having a lot of mental errors. Yeah. And so they brought in another dude off the street. From Baltimore. Oh, what's his name? Uh, it's at the tip of my tongue. But anyways, it was the most savage thing I've ever seen in football. So they bring this other fullback off the street, right? And everybody knows these dudes are competing for the job. And in Kyle Shanahan's offense, they love a big fullback uh-huh. that can go in and whack people, right? So do you remember they originally put this fullback that was trying to take Ray Agnew's job on scout team as the middle linebacker? And they were running plays <laughs> where purposely the middle linebacker and the fullback were meeting in the hole with like a seven or eight yard head start. Small, that was his name. Yeah, nice job, John Fontanelli. Great job with the research there. Yeah, <laughs> so they had Kiro Small and Ray Agnew, who were both about 5'10, 275, uh-huh. and they were mirror images of each other. They both squatted probably 800 pounds, and basically, it was 15 to 20 plays back to back to back where they would line up 10 yards apart and they would run full speed and collision helmet to helmet in the hole. There is no way that that was not. CT inducing <laughs> collisions one after the other. And I was just thinking these dudes both know that they were fighting over the worst position in, in the entire NFL. In the- <laughs> You're a fullback. There's like five of them left in the league. Golly. They make minimum wage and they have shortened necks and all sorts of problems <laughs> later on in life because of the beating that their body takes. And these dudes are literally killing each other in practice for, for one this job. spot. So Ray Agnew, who was the fullback early on that year, his father was a player personnel uh, something player, maybe director player personnel with the Rams, something like that. Long story short, I'm just now realizing. I, I think it was his father who actually walked me down to grab my stuff and and leave the like escort me out of the facility. Really? Yeah. Like, and he apologized at one point, like when I seen him at a game, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not thinking anything of it. I've had probably four different personnel members from that team apologize to me for cutting me on the second day of camp. And making me drive out there because you know if you come in the second day of camp, you knew you were cutting me three days earlier. I, I think yeah, they they only brought you in there as a placeholder until somebody until they could got hire there. or sign the guy that they really want. Yeah, but anyway, that's, that, that's my we should we should do an episode on cut stories because we never even told the uh, Rex Grossman story on the show. I don't think. Nah, we we don't. We'll save that for right. a, a real good episode. Okay. We'll, we'll save that for a good, a good episode ep- for like for regular season game. It's time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, has huge week one contests. The first one starts this Thursday night when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season in a single-game showdown with $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. Just draft six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using the code TOMAHAWK will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Nothing as to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Get in on the season opener action. Download the DraftKings app now and use code TOMAHAWK. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. And new users, don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter the code TOMAHAWK. 
to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code Tomahawk only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com. Question number 11 of our 16 burning questions. Of the eight first-year head coaches, which do you think will have the most long-term success with their new team and which hiring should fans worry about the most? All right, Hawk got to go first with question number 10, so I'm going to go first with this one. Uh, I'm going to say Adam Gaze, actually, in New York. They've got Sam Darnold. I think he's going to be a franchise quarterback. And so when you pair a good offensive mind with that franchise quarterback, to me, that means long-term success. That is the most important thing in pro football for long-term success. You can have a great defensive mind with a really good quarterback, but that's hard to have consistent long-term success Because inevitably, that offensive coordinator who's running his offense with that franchise quarterback is going to have success, and then he's going to go leave to be a head coach, just like Kyle Shanahan did in Atlanta. And then when you try to replace him, you're going to try to replace him with somebody that runs the same offense. But something is always lost in the sauce when you, as an offensive coordinator, are trying to run somebody else's offense. It's never as good as the first version. It's like the second movie is never as good as the first one. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 was not as good as the first one. That's what it is with offensive coordinators. And then what happens is after two years of mediocrity, you end up firing that guy and you bring in a whole new offense with a whole new offensive coordinator. And you're starting over from ground zero two years after you should have. So uh, I always think offensive-minded head coach who's running his offense with great franchise quarterback. To me, that means success. Plus, finally, the Jets have been taking their medicine the last couple of years, kind of preparing for a stretch of consistency. They've finally got that. I think they've got a good defensive coordinator in Greg Williams. And so for me, the Jets, Adam Gaze, I think that's a great matchup. And I think they're going to have some good long-term success. Uh, a couple of points. One, Bad Boys 2 is better than Bad Boys 1. Uh, second point. Really? Oh, interesting. Second point is. Fun fact. Uh, you're wrong. Oh, I'm going to go with Matt LaFleur because, oh, again, it all comes down to your quarterback. Because he has one of the best quarterbacks, most talented quarterbacks the game has ever seen, it will take him longer for people to find out he's not good, if in fact he's not good. I'm not saying he's not good. What I'm saying is the quarterback will mask that for a very long time because he is so good. Also, it's the Green Bay Packers. They don't just fire coaches quickly. So even if he does suck for five years – they're going to give him that amount of time because they don't want to be one of the franchises that just cycles head coaches through. And most of the other teams on the list with first-year head coaches do. Look at Arizona. Look at Denver. Look at Miami. Look at Tampa Bay. Look at Cleveland. Those kind of teams, they just one year, two year, three year, new coach. One year, two year, three year. Packers don't do that. So LaFleur is going to last the longest and probably stay the longest because of that, as well as having the best quarterback. You know why the Packers don't do that? Well, one, they've had a really good quarterback for a long time, but two, because the structure of the organization is unique in Green Bay. They don't have an owner. They've got stockholders. They've got a CEO, basically, with Mark Murphy, who hires the head coach and the GM. He kind of makes a lot of those decisions. He's the one that hires those guys. But because he's not an owner, he's not going to be as quick to fire people emotionally. He needs to get approval from 
I think his whole board of directors in order to make a big decision like that. And so that's why they've had the great stability that they've had in Green Bay. And for all the NFL owners that are listening to this podcast, because I know at least 15 of them personally that text me the day after the show drops to talk about how much they love the show and things that we need to talk about. Uh, it's very important to not be emotional when you're an owner. And that's why you see the best franchises in the NFL a lot of times are the guys or women that have owned the franchise for a very, very long time and they're not cut up in the emotions of being an owner. And I think when you look at the Haslam's right now, that's why I think they're going to be really good for the long term as owners is because early on in their career, they didn't really understand how emotional it is to be caught up in sports. And so they went through a very, very accelerated learning curve and growth process early on in their careers as owners. And they've even gone out and said it. They learned so much firing as many coaches as they did offensive coordinators going through different structures and different plans and strategies where they finally, I think, have found their groove here with Dorsey and uh, Freddie Kitchens. And that's what's going to allow them the steady approach that it takes to have long-term success in the NFL. So then you agree with me. No, I do, but I still think Adam Gase <laughs> with the Jets is going to do a better job. Most the key word in the English language in this <laughs> sentence was most long-term success. Right. Matt LaFleur, everybody knows I was the first man in the national media to say that Green Bay should hire him yeah. because so we'll of nepotism. So because if, we know if they don't Mike do well, LaFleur, it's your his fault. boy, his, his brother that coached us when we were in Cleveland and we knew how great that offense was uh, that Kyle Shanahan ran. And so we knew Matt LaFleur was going to be great when paired with Aaron Rodgers. However, Adam Gaze, New York Jets will be better than long Are we term. more of the official podcast of Hugh Jackson or more the official podcast of Kyle Shanahan? <laughs> people, gave, uh, people made us the official that- podcast of Hugh Jackson for a long time. As of right now, if we can assign ourselves the official podcast, we're probably going to have more success from a fan standpoint of being the official <laughs> podcast of Kyle Shanahan, since Hugh Jackson seems to still be the most hated man in Cleveland. Uh, we're going to do RIP his We're going to do a whole episode on that too. We got a cut day episode. And we got a got a Hugh. We're going to we're going to Hugh Jackson episode too. What we got next, John? Question number twelve comes from our Tomahawk Show Instagram page. Nickology wants to know if you could uninvent something, what would it be? Oh, Joe, you got something? Because I have nothing right now. Just yeah, not what you want to say on a podcast. This is probably going to be a little controversial. Uh-oh. I'm just going to say. He's going to say like in- integration or some shit. I would uninvent <laughs> social media. Okay. I like that. Because if you think about how much of our lives now revolve around social media, if you just took the number of hours in a day, how many hours of the day are you wrapped around and focused on social media. If you're awake for, let's say, 16 hours, which is probably the average, eight hours of sleep, 16 hours awake, you're probably eating four of those hours, if you like me. <laughs> so 12 hours out of the day, you're working. And out of those 12, probably eight or nine is social media. And so we've lost social interaction. We've lost that ability to want to communicate, to be able to share our lives emotionally, lean on other people, to really find enjoyment out of the human interaction. Yeah. And so I think society could be a better place without social media. However, I will say to rebut my own comment right now. <laughs> well, you're going to middle. Of how it. are you going to re- not so, even give me the chance to rebut your, you're going to rebut your own comment. I'm going to do it because I know what you're going to say. I'm going to say that the, the benefit of social media is that we are able to change culture, society, the world so much quicker with social media being out there because the news is instantaneous and it's from people to people rather than 
media sources, which are always biased no matter who you're looking at, to the people, Mm -hmm. I think that's going to make the world a better place in the short term and the long term. So uh, maybe my comment was stupid. Yeah, I was going to say it was stupid (laughs) um, because it's also not attributing or accounting for the fact that there's people who are like me, like reclusive. Like I don't. But you wouldn't be reclusive if there wasn't social media. You would have to adapt and be a human no, being that likes to come out of this. People that are naturally, I'd like to be in my own environment. I just told you I don't like loud noises and I don't <laughs> like light. I like dark rooms and quiet. Like that would be my norm. Without social media, there wouldn't be any social interaction for a person like me. But I would argue the reason you like that is because you're dealing with digital media so much as the king of digital media and you're dealing with social media so much that when you do have time to let go and get rid of it, you can't wait to get into your cave, turn the lights off, turn the music off and be around silence because you get too much overload of uh, technology stimulus throughout your normal course of work. That's way better than any answer I would have. I would have gone with like ATM fees oh, or something. Yeah, but great. Yeah, social media. There you is go. A All right, next question. Introspective topic. <laughs> really good one there. He put a lot of thought into that. Maybe we need those production cush meetings. Balls. Like, hey, we don't need cush balls. Am I right? Those are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it's the I just want to point out that Joe uh, uninvented social media based on a question we got from Instagram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the irony is true. Question number 13. Thomas Price from Facebook asks, what's the dumbest, speaking of money, what's the dumbest, most expensive thing you've seen an NFL player purchase? Dumbest, most expensive thing. I don't know if it's the dumbest or expensive. I'm terrible with these questions because I just say what I want to say based on the story that you comes You would think that head. would make you good but when I played, because that's exactly what Tom <laughs> Flock wants to hear. They want to hear you say what's on the top of your head where you have a good story. Yes. Well, in 2013, all right, I don't know if you guys know anything about NFL locker rooms, but they are big freaking playgrounds, right? And the reason why guys like me and Joe became friends is because we weren't as much of an adolescent <laughs> as the rest of the people around us. We were like old farts. Like you can tell we grew up in like similar environments that we, you know, we had to become men. When you're 18, you're a man. You don't call home for help. You take care of it. You know, like but everyone else in the locker room plays video games 75% of the day. Like it's football and video games. And so in 2013, when I was with the Bengals, everybody, like that's all they talked about. They were playing Call of Duty. They were playing Madden. They were playing NBA 2K. And I felt like I was missing out on that social interaction that Joe cherishes so much because I wasn't into video games. So after a while, like again, all the receivers are playing. AJ Green literally was playing video games till like four in the morning. Right. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get involved, you know, and I'm a I am a uh, impulsive purchaser. I don't I just I'm either all in or all out. I go to the store. I buy a PS3. I buy a PS3. I buy Call of Duty. I buy Madden. I buy NBA 2K. I buy four remote controls. I buy the headset. I figure out the online setup. I literally spend probably over a thousand dollars on all this PS4 stuff. I get a special TV for it. I have it in a special room. I'm like, all right, I'm going to learn to do this. And we're going to all be getting in this together. I go to practice the next day and I'm like, yo, guess what? Your boy is in the game. I bought all the PS3 stuff. They were like, you idiot. The PS4 comes out on Tuesday. (laughs) The next PlayStation came out 36 hours after I spent over $1,000 on the old version. I went on Craigslist. I put it up on Craigslist for 200 bucks. I'm like, yo, come pick this crap up. I am out the video game life forever. The person who actually bought it off Craigslist thought it was like I was setting up to rob him. 
They had like somebody stationed there. Like, there's no way you're selling all this brand new stuff for 200 bucks. I'm like, just take it and leave me alone. Because I'd already opened it. I couldn't take it Can you imagine what the salesman at the store was thinking when you came in and bought all that stuff? How did he keep his mouth That's why I was so upset. That's so messed up, man. He got his commission. It's all right. But that's the dumbest thing that I've seen an NFL player purchase, and it was me. So (laughs) there you have it. I wish I could top that story. All I'll say is the dumbest thing I've seen was not the most expensive, but it was really expensive. But it was because of the circumstances around it. We had a sixth-round cornerback in the beginning of my career who was, and as a sixth-round pick, I think you make like a $600,000 signing bonus maybe, and then you make minimum if you make the team, I'm, I'm guessing, right around there back then. Um, so we had about said six thousand, six hundred thousand. No, in a six yeah. round pick, probably about one fifty. All right, one fifty. So seventy five grand after taxes from your signing bonus. If you make the team, that's maybe another hundred and fifty. Uh, so maybe two twenty five in the bank after year one, right? So this player had about two twenty five in the bank, and he's a rookie. So he doesn't have all that yet, but assuming he makes the team. So as a rookie, you have rookie duties where Saturday morning you've got to buy, like in the O-line room, it was like McDonald's back in the day for for the, the offense yeah. or for the defense. You had to buy, I think, chicken wings on Friday afternoon, and they would get together, watch film together. Um, but either way, you always had to kind of buy some food for the team, and it would rotate between the rookies. Well, this player gave this huge sob story to the veterans about, oh, I got to take care of my mama and I got a, my, an uncle who needs help. And I, I got all these people in my family that are counting on me and I don't have the money. I can't buy the uh, the chicken wings, which is about a hundred bucks for, for the, the, the defense. And so I can't do it. And so this veteran player, out of the goodness of his heart, the empathy he had for the situation said, okay, no problem. We get it. I'll cover you this time. Right? So you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about it. So he, he covers him. He pays for him. I am not joking you. The very next day, this rookie player shows up in a brand spanking new G-Wagon, which I haven't gone shopping for G-Wagons recently, but I believe they're over $100,000. And I'm Easy. guessing you can probably find four wheels that are cheaper that can take you from the hotel to the facility in Berea. And if you don't have any money, you can just take the van that the Browns drive you every day. So if this player was really worried about helping out all the people in his life, maybe he should have thought about not going with the G-Wagon. And let me tell you, when those <laughs> veterans on defense found out about the sob story and then the subsequent G-Wagon purchase, they were not too pleased and that guy went swimming in the cold tub very, very shortly after that. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love the rookie hazing. The good old That was days, just punishment. Man. That was not hazing. That was punishment for lying oh, okay. and being a low life. Yep. The the punishment, hypothermia. I hope you think about your purposes better <laughs> next time, rookie. <laughs> Enjoy this hospital visit. What do you got next for us, John? Question number 14 from our subreddit, our Tomahawk Show. Relar Time. I'm just going to botch all of these. Relar Time asks, UK fan here, do you think there will ever be an overseas franchise? And if so, do you think it would be a success? Um, will be an overseas franchise. Won't be a success for a long time. It's just hard. Well, actually, yeah, no. I mean, the travel to the other franchises, I feel like it's going to take a little while to get that rhythm. Unless there's like... They come out the gate with four overseas franchises. That makes it easier. Like their division is the European division, <laughs> like the AFC Europe. Yeah, that would be really good. <laughs> like, otherwise, it's I don't know. It, it'll be tough, man. It'll be tough. What do you think, Joe? I think there will be eventually. There's enough 
interest over there. Uh, it's hard to say exactly how it would split up, but I would love to see a UK franchise. I would love to see a Mexico franchise. I would love to see Canada. And then I think Germany might be one of the next places because over in Europe, you talk to those fans over there. And Germany is one of those places that plays pretty good American football. There's a lot of interest. There's a pretty similar culture over there to like discipline and structure and toughness. Um, and so I think mm-hmm. those areas could be ripe for NFL franchises. But I think maybe the way they do it is actually the franchises are located in America. So the transactions and the travel isn't as much. And then when you do travel to your home games, you're traveling over for maybe like three weeks at a time. So if you were the German team, let's say you were stationed in New York City, and then you would do like a three-game home stand where you would travel to Germany, you'd play three games, then you'd come back, and then you'd kind of be on the road somewhere else. Clearly, there'd be a lot of disadvantages, but I think for the NFL game to continue to grow, they need to latch a hold of this popularity that they have internationally. And Actually, I would love to be involved with an overseas franchise. One of my dreams for my family is as my kids get into school, I would love to live internationally for a year. My wife did it when she was younger. Her dad got transferred over to the UK for a year because he had a job uh, overseeing a factory over there. And so he moved his whole family over there when my wife was like in second or third grade. And she talks about the great memories she had just learning a different culture and sort of opening up her eyes and horizon to doing things a different way in different countries. And so I think it'd be really cool to take the family over, like let's say Germany for a year, coach American football, uh, dive into the culture and learn a new language and maybe help grow the game internationally. So uh, that's a dream for me. Yeah. I think the NFL Europe was a cool Good. thing. I know a lot of guys that played in it. They loved it. And I would love to see them bring something like that back if they're not going to go to the the European or the Mexico-Canada franchises anytime soon. Yeah, that's good because it opens up my uh, trade request um, internationally. Oh. So any podcast in Germany, <laughs> again, or, as you know, I'm looking to trade Joe Thomas. Talk to me. He's willing to go anywhere in the world. So that'll be good for us. What else we got, John? What's the next question? So we have two questions left. One is about the Browns. The other is going to be a little Super Bowl preview. But first, we're going to call Christian Kirk. So you guys ready? I'm ready. Get Kirk on the line, man. Kirko, what's happening? Yo, 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 what's good, brother? Ain't nothing, man. You got me and Joe T on the line, man. We got you here on the Tomahawk Show. How is everything going right now in Cleveland Browns world? Everything is going good, man. It's, it's no better time to be a Brown than now. Hey, no. we'll talk about that. That's, <laughs> that's a perfect place to start, Kirko. How does it feel going into a season with all these expectations? I mean, you know, it, it feels good to be on the on the good side of the expectations, but at the same time, you know, as a team, we really kind of block out everything because we already know, you know, it could be some distractions. So uh, right now, I mean, we just focus on, you know, everybody in the building, and we're kind of blocking out everything on the outside and, and just taking it day by day and making sure we do our job to go out there and win on Sundays. But I can't lie and say, you know, uh, it don't cross my mind, so I'm still – Still excited about, you know, where we headed and uh, what this team can do. Hey, Kirko, thanks for being on the show. How has uh, Freddie Kitchens helped you guys handle those expectations that being in Cleveland as long as, as all of us had been, had never been there until this season? So, I mean, with Freddie, uh, he just keep us level-headed, you know, uh, because at one point, you know, we was on the other end, 
where, you know, people was, you know, kind of soft, people was laughing at it. People saying, you know, we the worst team, you know, same old Browns and this and that, and how it just quickly changed. He always reminded us, you know, just remember those times. And, you know, they're going to love you when you're high. You know, they're going to hate you when you're down. So as long as we, you know, stay together and, you know, we, we have our own narrative and uh, we focus on what, you know, our goals are, you know, we'll be fine. So he kind of just keep people level-headed. And that's the good thing about Freddie because, you know, him playing you know, at Alabama, which is a, you know, a top school, and they had, you know, expectations and everything when he was there, you know, he, he know how it feels. And, you know, he just spread that to us and spread the knowledge to us to where, you know, we, we just stay in our own lane. And everything else is a pan out for itself the way it's supposed to. So, Kirko, you're, you're one of the longest, if not the longest tenured Brown, I think, because I think you were there in 2014 when uh, when I got to Cleveland. So you're the longest tenured Brown. You have a locker room full of unique personalities. We'll say it that way. What is the best way to lead them and, and who have been the leaders thus far in the locker room to kind of keep everybody, you know, with a singular a singular vision and goal? Well, I mean, like you said, I'm only I'm only in year six and to look around the locker room and I always go up to Joe Batonio, I'm like, bro, like there's no way you know, six years ago, you could have told me that, you know, me and him was going to be the longest players on the, on the team. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it still it still blows my mind, man, just to just to see. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of, you know, uh, the organization keeping me here. And, um, you know, anything could have happened. But, so I'm always appreciative of that. But, you know, we got some good guys that came in the building, not just talent-wise, but, you know, guys that, that can lead. And uh, mentioning guys that probably don't get, you know, too much recognition, but uh, J.C. Treader, uh, he's one of those guys who, you know, he leads in the locker room. Uh, you know, he leads on the uh, offensive line uh, along with Joe Petonio and, you know, even uh, Jarvis and Odell. Uh, obviously, they play speak speak uh, for itself, but uh, with Jarvis's attitude, you know, how every day he's trying to practice and get better and get better. And watching Odell practice is, 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 is amazing just for the simple fact of things that he do. And I think that, you know, he has that wow factor to where, you know, he's running a simple route, but you're looking at him run and you're like, like, man, this dude really is one of the best receivers. And so he leads in that way. And then you got the guys on, on defense. Uh, Morgan Burnett, obviously, he's the longest player on defense. He's played, you know, 10 years in the league. You know, he's won Super Bowls. So he showed a lot of young guys how to be a pro, you know, how to, how to take care of your body, how to uh, watch film, you know, things to do throughout the week. Um, so he's leading in that in that aspect. Um, I'm more of like the vocal leader to where, you know, I'm just real passionate about everything. Uh, just being here, a lot of guys respect me from, you know, just being the longest, you know, player on the team and uh, being through the ups and downs. So I lead in that way. But then you got like people like Olivier Vernon who don't say too much, but when he do speak, everybody in the room is listening. So we just got a mixture of good guys, you know, and, and not just talent-wise, but like how they carry themselves you know, off the field, we got good guys that, you know, can lead and um, help his team. And everybody has a different personalities, but we mess so well. You know, uh, Baker, Baker is Baker, who he brings the energy he's going to say we want to say, but he's always trying to move us forward. And he's only going into his second year, and it feels like he's year five and six just by the way he carries us up. Right. And, um, so the, the personalities, it's, it's messing with well, man. Our coaches even got personalities. You know, Freddie, <laughs> Freddie is one of the funniest guys on the team, and he's the coach. Really? He's always joking around, coming into the locker room, coming into the defensive meeting room, even though he's an offensive uh, 
you know, style coach who still comes in the defense uh, meeting room, always joking with Demarius, just kind of keeping everybody loose, you know. But when it's time to work, it's time to work. So I think we got an even balance going on right now. Yeah, do you have any interesting stories? I always think that the best stories from the NFL season a lot of times come from training camp. And you guys have a ton of stars and great personalities, starting with the head coach. Uh, did anything happen in training camp this year that you think would be pretty interesting that uh, fans in the Tomaflock out there would, would love to hear about? Maybe Freddie and how he handles the team or some of the funny things that he's done or OBJ or Baker? Uh, During training camp, uh, honestly, bro, the training camp was 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 a was a little different. We didn't have too many too many stories to where like, oh, I think the fans you know really get a get a kick out of it, seeing it. But you know, just just the interactions, man, with with, with how Baker um, treats the offense and offensive players. And you would think that uh, we got Odell, we got Jarvis, we got um, uh, Kareem, we got Nick Chubb. You know, guys that kind of have favorites on, on on the team. But Baker, he treats everybody the same. Regardless if you if you're making eighteen million to league minimum, it, it doesn't matter. And I just remember in, in, in training camp, um, uh, I think Odell he he was running the route and didn't didn't I don't know if he didn't finish or whatever. But Baker was just like, "Hey man, come on, let's go. That's what we need. You know, like we need we need you a hundred percent. You know, that's what that's what we brought you here for. And it's one of those things where it's like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. And and I think that everybody has that relationship on the team. Regardless of who you are, you know, we need 100%. And, you know, everybody respects each other. So I think that's what the fans really going to see is that, you know, guys are really bought in. You know, and uh, the training camp was, was physical. Training camp was was a lot of competition. And, you know, I think the fans that was there saw it. And they seen how guys is running to the ball, how guys are trying to make plays on the ball. You know, how Denzel is going against, you know, uh, Odell. And, you know, guys are just battling and competing. And iron is something iron. And I think that that's what that's what we needed, and um, I think that's what they're going to see this year. Tell me this, Kirko. When we were together, when we played together on the Cleveland Browns, my my thing was always: I think we had great players. I think we had really good players. I think we had players that people didn't realize how good they were until they went to other teams. But one thing I always noticed is that we had a ton of nice guys, and and to be honest, we probably had too many nice guys than we actually needed. We needed some dogs out there. Take that in contrast with this team now. Like, you have a lot of big personalities. Do you think that that is going to help set this team apart from the past teams that we were together on in Cleveland? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because you got you got a lot of guys out there like, hey, man, let's make this happen. Right. You know, uh, it's, you, you can be nice off the field. When it's, when it's on the field, you know, I need, I need everybody to be a dog. You know, and we got those, those guys who has, you know, the alpha male mentality. Uh-huh. You know, you got Demers, you got... You know, Olivia Brown, Sheldon Richardson, which is, he really, like, he don't care who he's talking to. He's, he's going to say, like, hey, when you're on this field, we got to make things shape. You know, no no nice guys, all, all that tough mentality. And, and Freddie wants to build that. And I think that, you know, you got to separate it, you know. Um, when mm-hmm. you put on the pad, it's, it's, you're a different person. Yep. When you walk in between those white lines, you're a different person. And I think the guys that uh, John Dorsey brought in, he, he knew that they had the attitude. You know, when you have receivers, just from last year when uh, Jarvis, you know, had his whole speech to the receivers about, you know, practicing and, uh, uh-huh. you know, everything being contagious. When you have a receiver talking like that, it, it speaks about your team. What are you trying to say, Carco? You're trying to, you're trying to say I wasn't I, on that? I, I'm not. Is that, was that a shot? I'm not saying 
<laughs> a bunch I, of soft I, guys I, like Hawk on the team there I, for I, many I, years. We, but we have a receiver that's you know have a mentality like that. It's kind of like that 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 Steve Smith mentality, right? You know, where he's talking fast, he's he's you know he's working hard. He's not afraid to go block, and you know, Hawk, you did the same thing. You okay, know, yeah, you fix it, clean it up. <laughs> you did. You did everything that you know that was asked of you, plus more. But just seeing it from Jarvis and you know just seeing it from Odell and uh, one thing about those guys, man, they they practice hard, you know. And it's not just oh I'm Odell Beckham or oh I'm Jarvis Landry. It's like when I'm on the field, I'm trying to work. I'm trying to get better. You know, I'm trying to be the best, and it spreads out to the team. And just having that because those guys are nice guys. You know, Sheldon's a nice guy. Olivier Vernon's a nice guy. Demaris is a nice guy. But when we're on the field, you know, we all want to be one. And it, it kind of takes me back to I was looking at uh, Kobe Bryant's documentary, and he was talking about, you know, when he became Black Mamba. And everybody's like, oh, Kobe not passing the ball, or he, he just has this, this killing mentality. He said that he wanted everybody on the team to be a Black Mamba, so everybody to be just like him as far as the mentality of I got to win, I got to be the best. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the mentality that we get on our team is that no matter who you is, we got the same mentality. Mm-hmm. Everybody got the same mentality and we strap on them pads. And I think that's that's where we're going. That's the identity that we build. Uh, Kirk, you've been the unquestioned leader on that defense for a number of years. You always brought that attitude. Uh, and you were also the guy that was in charge of the dog check call and response barking that the defense would always do. Uh, <laughs> actually, this question comes from the Tomahawk Show subreddit page. One, did you invent the dog check bark? And two, is there anybody on the roster right now that is just terrible and sounds like a baby chihuahua when you're doing that? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, so actually, man, the dog check. Uh, when Jamie Collins first came to Cleveland, he was saying that uh, they used to do this little thing, and uh, it kind of just you know ch- check you see where you at, you know say you know defense not playing good or whatever, and uh, or somebody you know just need to you know have a have a, a check out there or they, they're out of it, you know just hit them with a dog check. And when they bark back, it's like All right, let's go. That's basically you checking your teammate, mm-hmm. you know, like making sure you're ready to go. And so he came in and he was telling me, he was telling me, he's like, hey, bro, I think that'd be sweet. So I'm like, I will right, we'll go say it, but we all know Jamie. Jamie's like, man, that's, I'm giving that to you. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm like, all right. So then I just start saying it all the time. He's like, all right, bro, you ain't got to say it that much. I'm like, no, nah, I got to make sure everybody <laughs> <laughs> <it> all <laughs> And it was just one of those things where, you know, we just we just took it and ran with it. And uh you know, now we hopefully the, it bleeds onto the where the fans are really bought into it. Yeah. And it's kinda like, you know, say we need a a, a big third down stop on defense or you know, we need a, a first down conversion on on offense and you know, it'll be a good thing for the crowd to get involved and you know, you hear everybody bark as one, it's like, all right, we all in it together and we need mm. this stop, we need this big play. So I'm hoping the fans really get engaged in that. And uh, I think that would be pretty cool. And as far as, you know, who who got the worst bark? <laughs> Come on, uh, give it to us. Can, uh, I got I to gotta think about that. Uh, you give us some thought. You know what's going to happen with the dog check? It's similar to the dog pound where it's created 30 years ago. It it continues doing it becomes a part of the team. Everyone sells T-shirts and makes a ton of money off it except you. So that's what's <laughs> going to happen just in case you want to glimpse to the future of dog check 
We're actually printing Tomaflock t-shirts we, right we, now. We got to trademark which, that, Kirko. And we're we're trademarking it here on the Tomaflock show. <laughs> hey, look, I got, I got some stuff up my sleeve, man. Ooh, oh, man okay. You know, y'all, y'all just be ready. And, and when it when it drops, it's dropped. Okay. Y'all just, y'all just be on board. All right. Dog <laughs> check, dude. Dog check. Yeah. All right. So, all right. So, again, you're, you're, you're heading into a season. Um with high expectations, honestly, you're even from a position where people are going to be gunning for y'all. Like there are teams that cannot wait to do anything more than to shut the Cleveland Browns up because in their mind, what have you done yet? This is all hype. How are you handling that? Tell me your mindset when you're going against these teams, when this season kicks off and you understand on the other side of the ball, the teams are going to be looking at you like we cannot wait to shut this hype train up. What is your mindset as a linebacker going into those games? I mean, as a, as a linebacker, you, you know that already my mindset is it's, it's, it's the International Football League. You know, uh, people are constantly fighting for jobs, fighting to keep their jobs. You know, it's a way, you know, they pay their, their um, um, get paid and, you know, take care of their family. So mm-hmm. somebody is always playing for something bigger than themselves. And so I think that's my mentality coming into to a football game all the time. Like I'm gonna get everybody's best, you know, because this is this is people's jobs, is their lifestyle. So with the expectations, I know everybody's just talking about the Cleveland Browns site and that. But we and we understand that. But we're we're saying okay, if we execute and we be the best version of ourselves, and we're always competing against ourselves, everything can take care of itself, you yeah. know. Uh, and that's what Freddie keep keep harping on is just block out the noise, block out the noise. We don't we don't want to feel pressured, or we don't want to feel like, you know, the target is just is on our back. We're thinking, you know, we take care of ourselves, we do what we're supposed to do, and we execute the plays that we're, we're drawing up, and we play the way we know how to play. That's all we're gonna focus on. We gotta have a ton of vision. We can't really focus on like who's watching us, who's doing this, who's doing that. We focus on us, and and we know how good we can be. So. Um, that's, so, that's just our mentality heading into the games, heading into the season, and definitely heading to week one. So translation, we want it. Bring it. We're not running from it, okay? Show me. Don't tell me about how tough you are, every other team in the AFC North. You got to show me. Shut me up if you don't want me talking. <laughs> I get it, Kirk. I'm with you on that. Yo, Kirk, you're doing a bunch <laughs> of really dope things, man, with the charity um, in your hometown, even in Cleveland. Tell us about that a little bit. Oh, man, my my my, uh, my foundation, man, uh, Kirk man. so – Basically, uh, I came up with that um, just from, you know, making relationships in Cleveland. And, you know, everybody know my nickname is Kirko, uh, which I got that from, you know, my fellow linebackers, uh, Craig Robertson, Zach Dial, you know, uh, Darius Eubanks, Carlos Danzi, all those guys. Thank you. Uh-huh. OGs. Yeah, all the OGs, man. Uh, they start calling me Kirko. And I remember when I was in year three, uh, one of the rookies came up to me. He's like, bro, like, you know, people in Cleveland seem like they they really love you, man. He's like, man, this 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 Kirko man, and I was like, I was like, man, you know, I kind of like that. And um, I always used to like go to different events, um, you know, just show my face, show love, and try to help out uh, with other foundations. And you know, I was like, you know what, I, I kind of want to have one of my own, but I don't want it to be, you know, just specifically for one thing. I kind of want to be open to, you know, uh, different things just because, you know, that's my personality. And I feel like, you know, uh, I'm, I love a number of different things. So I want to open myself up to different uh, people. So that's when I just came out with, with the whole Kirk O'Lan Foundation. And then, you know, encouraging kids uh, really 
be themselves, mm-hmm. you know. And we in a, we in a time where we got social media and everything, and everything is on camera. Right. You know, uh, people are 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 seeing people's lifestyles, you know, through pictures, through videos, and you know, people seem like they know a person, or you know, they want to be like a person. I always stress, you know, kids to you know be your own self. You know, whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do, do it, regardless of what you see, regardless of what you hear. You know, just 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 be your own person. Uh, and when I was growing up, a lot of people were telling me, oh, I'm too small to play linebacker in the league. I'm too small to play linebacker in college. And I was one, I was 185 going to Iowa. And I just always remember people telling me, I can't, I can't do that. And I'm telling myself, like, man, I'm, I, I dictate my life, you know. And if I do everything I can and if I put, you know, all my faith into what I'm doing and into God, everything is shaped out the way it's supposed to shape out. So with the whole Kirko land, I was just encouraging people, you know, when you're around me or when you come to like my events or when we go do a, a, a foundation event or anything like that, you know, you don't have to worry about trying to put on this act or, you know, trying to you know, be somebody you're not. Like be who you are when, you, when you're around me or be who you are when you're, you know, doing whatever you, you love to do. Yep. And I feel like when you when you spread that, that message, you know, everybody's just, you know, loving each other. Everybody's just, you know, uplifting each other because – you're not you're not trying to knock somebody down or you're not trying to, you know, be something that you're not. Right. You know, and I, I just think that's just good energy and good vibe. So Love it, that's man. one thing I really push out there, you know, with, with my foundation and you know, just I'm a, I'm an NFL football player, but at the end of the day I'm a person. Right. You know. And people can come talk to me, people can, you know, treat me, you know, as a as a friend. You know, I'm 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 willing to do that. But I just I just try to, you know, spread that message. My fa- my favorite thing about you, even as a teammate and the person you are, man, I tell anyone, I'm like, if if you don't like Christian Kirksey, something is wrong with you. That's the barometer I use because you are unapologetically yourself, man. You are fun. Even when times were tough, you were always the, the kind of a, a uplifting light, not just on the team, just as a person, man. So we appreciate you. The charity you're doing sounds amazing. Where can we... Uh, where can we find out more information about the charity? Oh, so you can actually uh, go to uh, Element 13, uh, with Ashley Taylor and Patrice Horton. Uh, they actually run my foundation. Love it. Uh, they they got their Instagram page, Element 13, all of that. Or you can you can go check out my work on uh, Krishna Kirksey on IG or uh, Kirko 58 on Twitter. Kirko 58, man. Kirko, thank you so much for being on the Tomahawk Show and being an avid member of the Tomahawk because I know you're always texting me and Hawk after listening to the show whenever it drops, telling us about how amazing <laughs> and good-looking we still are. So we thank you for that. Uh, last thing, when fans are coming out to watch you guys against the Titans this year, what can they expect from this awesome defense that you guys have put together? Oh, man, it's, it's going to be a, a lot of energy, man. I think uh, – First off, I know our offense is getting a lot of praise, which mm. I'm so, so excited about. But here comes the here butt. We go. Get the butt out there. But this defense, man. But this defense. We, we got some players. <laughs> we, we got some players. Uh, our defensive line, I'm I'm excited about what they're going to do. Um, just by <laughs> just by what I see in practice, a little glimpse of it in preseason, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the defense. And then, you know, in the back end, we got we got some guys that's, 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 that's playing. So, um, I ain't gonna say too much. But mm, don't say too much. To watch this play. Don't say to watch this ball. Don't say too much, man. Give us your prediction for the season, a record. It's like, no, oh, I'm playing. Man. I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to <laughs> Kirko, man, we appreciate you joining us on the Tomahawk Show, man. Appreciate. it, Thanks, Kirko. All right, buddy. Good thing, man. We're looking for you. All right, thanks.
That was Christian Kirksey, Brown's middle linebacker for what seems like forever. But uh, I think he's been there about eight years, and he's always doing a good no, job. not eight years. What's that? It has not been eight years. 2014 is eight years ago. In my Are book, it is. I feel is like it really? I know. I'm years. literally asking. No, I don't I tell me I'm have that no old. Idea, but it seems like about eight years. But my point is, he has been the <laughs> unquestioned leader in the middle through thick and thin in, in Cleveland, and he's finally going to be able to experience a really good roster and the excitement. And for us at the Tomahawk Show, we couldn't be more happy for him because – like like you mentioned, Hawk, even during those dark days when we were there, he always brought that positivity and that energy. And you always yeah, got to have man. a guy like that on your team. And we thank him for being a member of the Tama Flock and for being a great teammate for all those years. Dude, he he never had a bad day. It was funny because even like in 2014, we were like a, at one at points we were a solid team. And then as we got worse, which we did, um, it was still always guys like Kirko and Joel Batonio where you'd be like, yeah, but those young guys, they're pretty good. <laughs> and so it's just cool to see them now being the only two guys even left from those roster. And now the Browns are actually good and people are excited about them. So they deserve it. Um, super glad and excited about everything they're going to have coming up. What do we got next, John? Question number 15. Ooh, right back into the questions. I like it. Yes, sir. We got two left. This one's a very pointed Browns question coming off that Christian Kirksey interview. Question number 15, do the Browns deserve to be favorites to win the AFC North? Um, yes, I don't think being a favorite is like something you deserve. You either are or you aren't. Like you have, Your roster is either that good or it's not, and they have a really, really good roster. Kirko is absolutely right. The offense gets a lot of the headlines, but the defensive personnel they have, the players they have on D, yo, they, this is a legit defense. This is a legit, complete team. The only thing that I would even semi-worry about, which I'm not because I think it's actually uh, the thing that's going to thrust them over the top, is the collection of personalities. There's a lot of personalities in that locker room. So I just want to see how they gel. If they gel in the manner which we all expect, yes, they're, they're favorites, and, I, and I, don't, I don't think that's out of bounds to say so. Well, I look at all the other teams in the division, and first of all, we know how good the Browns' offense is is going to be because of the, the talent, because of Baker, because of OBJ. We know defensively, watching them in that third preseason game against the Buccaneers, that was an absolute travesty for those poor offensive linemen from Tampa Bay because when you get those four war horses on the field from the Browns' defensive line, that is a frightening group that can get after the passer, that they create havoc in the run game. They got lockdown corners on both sides in the secondary. They got great safeties. They got really good linebackers. That is a really, really Really good defense coached by an excellent coach in Steve Wilkes. So while the offense is going to get a lot of the hype, the defense is going to be one of the top five defenses in the NFL. So I, I look around the AFC North besides the Browns and see, is there anybody else that's deserving to be favorites? I say Steelers. Maybe they looked really good in the preseason so far. They all obviously still have Big Ben. They've got a great system that's been in place for a long time, but they lost two big pieces. Le'Veon Bell didn't play last year, but he's not there. Uh, Antonio Brown, another huge piece, one of the best receivers in the yeah. NFL. He was controversial. They had chemistry issues potentially, but he was still productive. So losing those guys and uh, you didn't exactly replace them with any one person. You've kind of replaced them with a team mentality, which a lot of times works, but there's no guarantees with that. And so even though I think the Steelers will be good, they were 9-6-1 and one last year, I think they should expect to be somewhere about that this season. I still think the Browns are going to win 10 or more games and win that division. 
I, I think the Ravens are going to be decent. They're eight and eight, in my opinion. Uh, but the more time Lamar Jackson goes out there and plays and does not have that elite franchise quarterback arm, because I'm assuming it's not going to be developed any more than it already has. I don't think that that is long-term sustainable in the NFL. Teams are going to continue to figure it out. They're going to do things that are similar to what the Chargers did to them last year in the playoffs by playing a bunch of small Mm -hmm. guys in the secondary, trying to take away a lot of the running games. And they're going to force Lamar Jackson in the pocket to try to throw the football. So barring him making some drastic steps in his passing within the pocket, or at least passing in general, maybe it's even outside the pocket scrambling, I don't see them being any better than eight and eight. And then the Bengals, there was a lot of turnover. They are still Andy Dalton, AJ Green. But other than those guys, you you can't really say that they do any one thing really, really well. They've got a eh defense. They've got a eh offensive line. They've got eh kind of all over their roster. And then you couple that with a young head coach in Zach Taylor. I just don't see a lot of success for them this season. I see them kind of in that five and 11 uh, range somewhere there. What what say if you Hawk? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I I can't argue any of that, man. I just think the Browns are the the best roster. I mean, this is the benefit of us taking those L's um, all those years. This this is the fruits of our labor. Mm. This is us going there, getting our heads pounded in, going into games, knowing that we weren't going to win because our roster wasn't as good and we didn't have the firepower, knowing that there was going to be a crucial third down in the fourth quarter where we'd have to go to somebody young and they weren't prepared for the situation, Mm -hmm. knowing we were probably going to miss a field goal at some point, understanding our special teams were going to lose the special teams battle Mm. week in and week out. This is the benefit of that. Now we have a superstar roster and we are favored in the division. Mm. Voila. Mm. A la tanking. Next question. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the last of our 16 burning Woo! questions. Fellas, we made it. What is your prediction for Super Bowl 54 in Miami? NFC champion, AFC champion, Super Bowl champion. Mm. Now, just to tee it up, Joe, I noticed, already picked the Browns to beat the Seahawks on <laughs> NFL.com. I'll be Joe, there. you standing by that prediction? John, I am standing by that prediction. I've got the Browns over the Seahawks. It's going to be a lower scoring affair because, believe it or not, but the Browns and the Seahawks are going to have really, really, really tough defenses. Uh, I like that clowny trade. He's an excellent run defender. He can get after the quarterback. He makes that team much, much better. That's kind of what they need because they're trying to go old school a little bit. They want to be more of a ground and pound running attack where Russell Wilson can take some shots downfield, be smart, not turn the ball over, play good, hard defense. And I think that's going to play really well this season. I'll be at that Super Bowl match. I cannot wait. I've already got my Baker Mayfield jersey. It's getting dry cleaned right now after the big Tomahawk Day at the stadium last season. So it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I really stand by that prediction. I'm going with a Joel Batonio jersey if the Browns make the Super Bowl. Oh, I'll be wait. there and a Joel Authentic. Batonio. I, I, I got love for the big boys, the guys who grind it out without much of the glory. But my Super Bowl pick is not the Browns. My oh. Super Bowl prediction is the Eagles versus the Chiefs. Hmm. And I have the Eagles winning. I think Carson Wentz has a big bounce back year. I think this roster is super talented. I think the Chiefs are also going to be just as good as they were last year. And they were an offsides hmm. away from going to the Super Bowl a year ago. Hmm. Also, only one of us on this show hit the prediction preseason last year. Perfect. When I picked the Rams versus the Patriots and the Patriots winning. That is legit. Wow. 
not on the show. Actually, we we actually don't have video of that or we don't audio, have any, uh, but it definitely <laughs> any happened proof. in Hawk's mind. But one hundred percent, along with those Oscars, there you go. All right, is that it? That's it. Just want to give one more final shout out to Andy Conaway. He emailed the show after the conversation we had about Joe's Madden rating last last week. Go on. So there's a video out there called Joe Thomas Through the Years, NCAA Football 05 to Madden 17. That's not the Creative. stupidest video I've ever heard of. <laughs> Continue. If you like watching 10-minute Madden rating breakdowns, there's a guy named Miles Dawkins 24-7 who's oh he's got you covered. So mm. Joe, you are a 98 overall in Madden 15 mm. and a 97 overall in a couple other versions of the game. So congrats there. Thank Something you. I found remarkable Remarkable. Hawk was a 77 with 94 <laughs> speed and 97 agility, oh. but following his career year in 2014, bumped up to an 80, but somehow your speed went down. Oh. Yeah, what a, so I went from a 94 speed in, in, in Madden mm. 15 to a 90 speed in Madden 16, but my agility went up a point. Mm-hmm. So I got quicker, but I got slower. Hmm. Which is a weird thing to well, do. Well, that's what happens I when you I was... get older and your diet consists of Mountain Dew and pizza. You get slower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just as quick as ever. Nah, which that, is weird. I didn't get mark. that much slower from year to year. That's what's crazy. That's a crazy talk, John Madden. All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. Listen, make sure you're following us on social at Tomahawk Show. Hit up our subreddit page. Um, I don't have the information. What is it? At Tomahawk Show? Yeah, our Tomahawk Show. Yep. Yeah, subreddit, our Tomahawk yeah. Show. And then yep. Facebook, our email is Tomahawk Show at Gmail. And our phone number is 440 628 one three seven six listen that that is our third preseason episode we are done with that and we're now going into the regular season um it's very exciting because we'll be dropping new episodes every sunday evening and every wednesday and we'll have video we have video for our sunday episodes so you'll make sure you can tune in online you can see me and joe's beautiful faces that were built for podcasting and hopefully it doesn't derail the podcast joe you have any final thoughts for us final thoughts this week is Thank God it's finally football time because I am so sick of hearing pundits talk about how much they hate preseason, but yet they still watch. They still talk about it. So finally, we can move on to talking about real football and not complaining about the quality of the preseason. At some point, we have to stop referring to other people as pundits and realize that we are actually pundits <laughs> ourselves. We would have <laughs> to be other professional people as media. in order to consider ourselves pundits. Okay. So I think we're yeah, safe you still, there. We'll never be professional. still say swear words in your podcast. You're not technically a pundit yet, so we're safe there. Alright, well, take us out, Joe. Joe, Hawk, yourself. <laughs>